Voices of Today is proud to present Not Just a Piece of Cake, Being an Author by Hazel Edwards, award-winning author of There's a Hippopotamus on My Roof Eating Cake, narrated by Erin Marie White. Writing for children is not a piece of cake. Despite creating the vintage picture book, There's a Hippopotamus on Our Roof Eating Cake, which has only 404 words, and one less when smack was censored out years later, brief writing is the hardest. Subtext, which suggests more than the surface words, matters. So does choreographing the ideas. That's why a brief memoir is more challenging than a birth-to-now autobiography. A children's author is expected to be amenably nice, not candidly honest. But memoir is an elastic term to cover any bits of your life about which you choose to write. How can you write kids' books when you are so old? Asked a six-year-old mathematician. We googled. You are not six years old. You were born last century in 1945. Vintage is the in-word for old, veteran or antique. Childlike means enthusiasm at any age, looking at things with fresh eyes, not childish, which means self-absorbed and petulant. Big difference. Long-term children's authors tend to suffer from optimistic curiosity, i.e. childlike perception. Others call it naivety. Dreaming in Fractals. For this memoir, I prefer a conversational format, including my meanderings to work out the answer for myself. I used to dream and think in fractals. Fractals are patterns in nature, like repeated structural shapes of ideas. I'm not talking of just going around in circles, although I've done my share of that. The hidden patterns in the process of the process of creativity will be my quest. Why succumb now? Sorting memories in the hippocampus. I'm hopeless at filing and formatting. I think in abstract, not visual. Need to write while I can remember quirky details or find them from less than perfectly backed up files five computers ago. My worst fear is to lose my imagination or the ability to play with ideas. Six years earlier, suddenly immobile was Streptococcus agalacticae group B. This mysterious bug affected my ability to think in abstract or multi-plot fiction. Others just get the flu. Trust you to get an exotic, dramatic, unpronounceable medical condition, said a friend. Now I rarely dream in fractals, but I'm mentally okay, despite being aware of early dementia crippling certain writers. I need to use my hippocampus, where memories are stored, now. This memoir attempts to recapture the creative process as a participant observer. As I declutter my study and throw out stuff, I get sidetracked by drafts I wrote years ago. A successful project might look like an instant impulsive idea, but it's often founded on earlier discards. Becoming an author is a process of detours, mistakes and ad hoc decisions, mainly wrong. The only benefit is you have experienced universal feelings and can project these inadequacies onto your characters, which makes you a better author. 
Personal flaws are research, ironically. The best stories come from things going wrong, the gap between aspiration and workday reality. It's helpful if a writer gets lost, is clumsy and makes mistakes. All of that is part of creative problem solving. Are memoirs fiction dressed up as fact? Maybe mine is faction, because it is genuinely difficult for novelists to remember the exact details of a life, which may have been dramatised already as fiction. Or the sanitised versions offered during interviews where an author is asked, why did you become a writer? Because I wanted to experience a varied life and see things from others' viewpoints. Histories are meant to be only verifiable facts. In memoirs, bias and ego creep in. That's the quandary. I prefer questery as a kind of historic quest for a story. Once upon a time. Welcome to Australian Book Lovers. Your destination for imagination. A huge warm welcome to everyone and an even huger thank you for joining us once again for the Australian Book Lovers Podcast. Our mission is to bring fabulous Australian and Indigenous literature spanning a whole range of genres to book lovers all around the globe, as well as fantastic resources and information for passionate authors looking to write their next bestseller. I am Darren Kazanko, dystopian science fiction and horror author, avid reader and one of your hosts and co-founders of Australian Book Lovers coming to you today from Corner Country. And I'm Veronica Strachan, a.k.a. V.E. Patton, fantasy, memoir and picture book writer, reader, also avid, and your other co-founder and host for the podcast today, coming to you from a kind of sunny, yeah, I'll give a sunny Woiwurrung country. Oh, a little bit of sunny. I, I, I didn't yeah. include the weather in my report earlier, but it, it is a little bit overcast and definitely humid. So, uh, and yes, mosquito land. I think it's oh, uh, yeah, the, it's that season, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I've probably got bitten more in the last two nights than I have for a while. Since it reminded me of uh, being on South Stradbroke Island on the Gold Coast when I was living oh. there, where you wake up and you've got like you can play connect the dots with 116 oh. <laughs> bites to go all the way. Even worse when they go to the tip of your toe. Ooh, oh, yeah. nasty. Nothing like trying to scratch the tip of your toe. I don't know what it is about the, that particular part of the body, but it's not good for scratching. You can't quite get scratch that itch, so to speak. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Stay away from, let the mosquitoes know that's territory you shouldn't go. On yes. that toe. And look, I know Ooh. they need a little bit of blood, but really, do they have to do mine? Mind you, if uh, there's a, all those fallacies about whether you're bananas or not, it doesn't have anything to do with that because I did do some research. But if I go out with my husband, I'll get eaten alive and they avoid him like the plague. It's like, really? How is that fair? Yeah, I used to be similar. Um, as far as down in the SA, I don't, the Mozzies, I guess, didn't really like me. I always assumed maybe. Uh, you know, I, I thought there was a, it's probably a myth, but I always assumed they might like sugary blood, like people that enjoy more sweeter foods. Not necessarily. Probably... Apparently mosquitoes have the same kind of tastes as humans. Some people like sweet, some people like sour. Ah. Same with mosquitoes. <laughs> but in this case, they love milkshakes. Well, blood ah. shakes. <laughs> Every flavour of blood shake you can get. Well, that, yes, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes. Well, episode number 46. 
That is just amazing, Darren, that here we are coming up, creeping up on our one-year anniversary as podcasters and, yeah, episode 46. And what a corker we have for you. Yeah, 100%. Yes, well, not just one guest, two guests in this particular two guests interview. And just an amazing interview with two fabulous people who I'll tell you about in a minute. Hmm. But first... Have you got anything on the number 46 or are we going straight to the news? I might have a scribble or two <laughs> uh, about the number 46. Um, okay, hit me so, with it. All right, so now again, this is uh, you know up for debate, but the energy represented by the numerological number 46, I hope I said mm-hmm. that right, sustains and evolves itself and creates its own support according to its own determination, generally focused on building a secure foundation for the future. 46 represents self-determination and self-sufficiency. It is comfortable being alone, pursuing its own purpose. It does, however, appreciate its family and contributes to its security. The base 46 creates and continuously strengthens is for both itself and its family. So the energy represented by the number 46 encourages its family to support and participate in what 46 considers to be important activities to ensure a secure future. Now, I've never, I suppose maybe in back in the day of mathematics, there might have been a time where you might refer to a group of numbers as a family. I don't think so. But I'm suddenly trying to realise, trying to imagine what all the different characters of the numbers are as family members now. Ah, I so mean, perhaps you need to seven consider well-behaved? synesthetes. So people who see letters and numbers as colours or as smells or as... Uh, you know, other sort of sensory input. Ah. Absolutely fascinating. I think it can be uh, triggered, can't it, by certain stimuluses of the uh, the brain? Is that right? Is there, can it be re- sorry? Can it be recreatable in the lab, like a? Uh, I'm a, not sure, electro- but you know, like some people, it's like uh, when they hear music, they see it in shapes and. A lot of synesthetes don't realise that other people don't, not you know, not everybody in the world doesn't know that, say, you know, the the musical note E is not, in fact, a female or it's not, in fact, a green thing. So, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Mm. I mean, yes, there's the old cliche of, you know, for example, you know, experimenting with certain hallucinogenics there's ah, that 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 okay. idea of oh <laughs> I, I don't think that counts Darren <laughs> no no but that but that 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 apparently does uh, bring on a temporary that oh, can okay bring yep, on that yep. temporary state but that yep. always made me wonder uh, in the case of people that you know obviously aren't taking LSD or if it's you know recreated through stim- electronic stimulus but is it a case that you know if you hear a note well you're hearing the note but that there is waves floating through the air, aren't there? Yeah, so is for it, sure. So, so yeah. there's some way of interpreting them, maybe not just to the ear, maybe maybe some people can see those waves, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so in many ways, I guess, people who have synesthesia, which I've just done a quick Google, so it's described or defined as a neurological condition in which information meant to stimulate one of your senses stimulates several. So I would suspect that many people who experience this are on a continuum of where it all works for them. Yeah, wow. And I guess that because that was also once a working theory for deja vu, wasn't it? That uh, a moment in time would come through and and hit a uh, receptor primarily built for memories. Mm. So it's recognised as a memory as opposed to a moment 
you know, a, a moment in time direct. Oh, there you go. Uh, so not the Matrix after all. No, possibly not. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I haven't heard, uh, oh, sorry, I haven't seen the latest Matrix, but I haven't heard good things. So oh. we may not be talking about the Matrix much. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to, there has to be a new juggernaut, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, because the, the, the simulation theory, it's, it's we already live in a simulation. It, well, not a, it's yeah. a computer program, should I say, because if we didn't, we wouldn't be able to work it out. No. Atoms no, are work via program. So yes, but uh, the Matrix, I haven't seen it. Any listeners out there, if you have and it's good, let us know. But uh, no, episode 46, and this is the fun part of doing the podcast. We uh, definitely don't come in with a script. Um, no. And we get no, to well, go. We do a little bit of research. In fact, oh, I must say, after uh, the interview, which I'll talk about in a moment, I went down some amazing rabbit holes because I am a bit of a science nerd. I do love the medical and the science uh, or sort of the theories and the frameworks and those kind of things. So I've got about 60,000 tabs open on my Internet Explorer um, or Chrome, whatever you like to think. But, yeah, I will control myself and ask you, Darren, what is the news for today? Okay, well, then, in which case, we shall jump straight to some news. Do, 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 do. So a little bit of a special edition news for this episode number 46 because, as um, many people around Australia may know, uh, we here in South Australia and predominantly in Adelaide, we are about to start with the Fringe Festival. And part of the Fringe Festival for this year, of course, is Adelaide Writers Week. So in this instance, Adelaide Writers Week 2022 has been titled A Better Picture. Well, at least this is a document that was uh, penned by the director, Joe Dyer. So I thought I might take this opportunity just to read the, uh, the, the small introduction that Joe has written for the festival or the Writers Week. Mm-hmm. And then uh, let our awesome listeners know about some of the really cool events that are happening. Because it's going to be a spectacular time uh, of the year. It's going to be hopefully... A, an opportunity to get out and sort of reinvigorate the city like every city needs at the moment around, mm. around Australia and maybe, you know, break off those uh, burdens of the pandemic and maybe just remember what it's like to stroll through a city on a sunny day and, you know, stimulate your mind, stimulate your senses, be in great company, learn wonderful things and be a part of something special. So yeah. Adelaide's Writers Week 2022, a better picture. So Although South Australia has been mercifully spared the worst of it, being the pandemic, the, the pernicious Delta strain wreaked, ha- sorry, wreaked new havoc on our plans, arts community and health systems. And we now seek to navigate a surging Omicron, each new variant bringing with it anxiety, insecurity and a sense of the surreal. Through it all, our authors and academics, poets and journalists dug deep and kept writing, exploring, imagining interrogating and engaging and the kind of expansive thinking that opens up possibilities and helps us see things anew. Our quest at the 2022 Adelaide Writers Week is to join our writers to think not just of the bigger picture but of a better picture, to dream of a way we can build a post-COVID world with greater equality, humanity and community. Our 2022 festival features some of Australia's most interesting and erudite minds and we look forward to welcoming them to our wonderful outdoor site at the Pioneer Women's Memorial Garden. Faced with still crippling uncertainty about international borders throughout 2021, our international guests will again zoom in from their homes around the world. 
All our guests come ready to contribute their most insightful and provocative ideas, and I have no doubt that the combined creativity and imagination of our authors and audiences can bring a better picture into focus. I look forward to joining you in the gardens in March for what will be my final Adelaide Writers Week, and that was penned by Joe Dyer, director. So uh, have you had a chance to look at the program? Are there any things that you must attend because they're just brilliant? Oh, there's going to be lots. Um, But the one thing I will just let people know is that as far as attending the festival itself, um, if you are in Adelaide, which I hope you are, or obviously we usually get so many visitors from all around the world and interstate for the French Festival, but it's going to be located on King William Road at the Pioneer Women's Memorial Garden, and it's going to be held from Saturday the 5th of March to Thursday the 10th of March. So there'll be events every day. The best part, that free entry no need to register mm. or purchase tickets now that's that's amazing and i think it's a great gift you know that that Adelaide's giving to to have this you know massively beautiful event and it's completely free of charge however not everybody can get down to adelaide i know that and uh, so there's actually going to be a whole heap of streaming of these events so i'm glad you asked are there any really cool events because what uh, writers week have done is they've put together what they call a curated dozen mm-hmm. and, and this is 12 you know or not not that and it's not exclusively the only um events that are going to be streamed of course this is just a little dozen to whet your appetite Uh, So basically, Writers Week will again allow you to experience a varied array of our program's most provocative and potent events from the comfort of your own home. We've selected 12 events to live stream as part of this year's Curated Dozen series. Now, this one's a little bit different. So tickets are available on a pay-what-you-can basis. So they recommend a minimum of $15 per event for those in full-time employment. But obviously, it is pay as what you can. And anything more, obviously, is gratefully received and will help cover the costs of those unable to to pay for these events. Now they can be viewed live from their scheduled start or for 48 hours or up to 48 hours thereafter. Um, So now the live stream tickets for each event are sold separately, but they can form part of one transaction. So you just keep adding the events to your cart. And Mm -hmm. then to purchase tickets, you can uh, visit adelaidefestival.com.au and just follow the prompts to the Adelaide Writers Week. Now, as far as just a few things that are happening. So Saturday, the 5th of March, there is a, an event called How Fast Things Fall, featuring Kevin Rudd and Malcolm Turnbull. Now, th- I'm going to be there. Because who would have thought those two gentlemen would be sitting there have, having a little bit of a chin wag and a giggle talking about how fast things fall. Mm. So as if that's not going to be a fantastic way to open up things this evening. <laughs> I'm going to so, leave you to that one. Well, I'm hoping to get a photo too. So uh, this is if I get a little, it might have to be a sneaky selfie with uh, them in the background pretending we know each other. But um, if I get it, I'll pop it up on the website. But So that's um, 12 p.m. And so I'll just, yeah, 12 p.m. I'll run through quickly what the events are. But, uh, but by all means, if, if anything sounds interesting, jump on to adelaidefestival.com.au and just follow the prompts to the uh, Writers' Week. So so we've got, uh, so, so same Saturday, we've got Comrades in Words by uh, Christos uh, Schlokas and Charlotte Wood. On Sunday, we have Our Nation's Shame, which is with Samantha Kromvoetz and Mark Willisey. On Sunday, there's also Words from the Wise featuring Peter Doherty and Barry Jones. 
Uh, that same Sunday, there is the Island of Missing Trees, which is uh, with Elif Shafek and co-presented with the Wheeler Centre. I think that's something uh, we might have spoken to about uh, in one of our industry specials, the Wheeler Centre. Yes. There you go. That is the fabulous uh, in Victoria, of course. <laughs> well, and obviously sniffing around here because <laughs> I've heard it's much better. And <laughs> no, no. Um, welcome all the people from the Wheeler Centre down here. Well, uh, I'm feeling a bit cheated now because you've got that uh, happening. What are the dates of the festival? Oh, so they are from the Saturday the 5th of March through to Thursday the 10th of March. Yeah, okay. So I am going to South Australia for a holiday. You but are. But not then. Not quite. But when I am going to South Australia for a holiday, I'm missing the Mountain Riders Festival here in the Macedon Ranges. Oh, and no. As opposed to the couple of politicians that you mentioned, we've got Tony Birch Evelyn Araluen, Tom Griffiths and Sophie Cunningham in conversation at the Wine Collective in Macedon. So I would definitely have been there. That does sound pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good, yeah. And that's four hours, so, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not Kevin Rudd, Malcolm Turnbull sitting in the sun and <laughs> giving you an excuse to get drunk I, I don't on think a there's any comparison. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I love the title too. I mean, you know what you're getting. How fast yeah, well, things fall. Yeah, that's true. That's coming at you thick and fast, but, um, <laughs> but no. And then so, uh, we've also, on Monday, Australia's War on Whistleblowers. That's going to be interesting. That's with Bernard uh, Colleray and David McBride and Jennifer Robinson. There's on Tuesday, there's Bad Energy with Ian Lau and Jeremy Moss, and that's co-presented with the Centre for Ideas, University of New South Wales. Uh, also on Tuesday, This Is Your Mind on Plants by Michael Pollan. Now, that could be an interesting one. I'm not going to jump to conclusions. I have no idea what it's about. Yeah. Um, and also on Tuesday, Nice Racism by uh, to be hosted by Robin D'Angelo. And that Tuesday, also, The Right to Sex by Armia Sri... Uh, let's have a see if I can pronounce this right. Srinivasan. And that's co-presented with by, again, the Wheeler Centre. And Thursday, we have Dark Actions, Dark Consequences by Javet Elam and Abbas Nazari. Co-presented with the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law, University of New South Wales. And looking like the last one, as far as the last uh, streaming live uh, event that you can participate in, on Thursday is The Magician featuring Colm Toibin. I hope I pronounced that. Once again, co-presented with the Wheeler Centre. Now, Go, Victoria. Uh, but anyway, so yes. Daryl. <laughs> Daryl. Sorry. See, you're flabbergasted oh, by Adelaide coming way. out. Yep, that right hook literary punch. <laughs> Darren. You are going to go there. So what's what's your plan? My plan is I am going to treat it as, well, it's not going to be my rock festival because obviously I'm not going to eat rock festivals at the moment. No, I will be enjoying, I'm going to pick a couple of really good books and I hopefully the weather's good and I am going to uh, do something I haven't done in a long time and that is get up early every morning and jump on a train, enjoy a good read, get to the city, meet some people, good coffee, and just just try and get to every event I can. And it's going to be fantastic. And I look forward to maybe, you know, seeing what's out and about. If I get an interview or two, that's going to be even, Mm. you know, that's a cherry on the cake. But uh, at the very least, I can uh, definitely get some 
wonderful uh, yeah memories to bring onto the new segments and let everyone know what it was like. So, Excellent. but it's going to be a Some fantastic time, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so I missed it the last couple of years, but uh, definitely this is going to be uh, definitely not missed this time around. So Good. looking forward to it like a kid before the royal show, and <laughs> and when they already start those show bag ads in the morning during cartoons, and you're salivating already month out. But uh, it's going to be fun. So that is the news for episode 46. and That's a lot of news. It is, but it's also a lot of writing. And when I think of a lot of writing, then it also makes me think a little bit about our pretty spectacular guest or, or guest today, uh, for the, just the amount of output and experience and just, wow, uh, yeah, dedica- look- dedication to the craft. So maybe tell our listeners about who our wonderful guest is today. Yes, and during the interview we go into a whole lot more detail, but we chat with Hazel Edwards. So Hazel has more than 200 books and that is a mighty catalogue, an absolutely mighty catalogue. And she's quite famous in Australia for many things, but particularly a lot of uh, teachers and children will remember her book, There's a Hippopotamus on My Roof Eating Cake. And what we're speaking to Hazel about for this interview is her, well, she calls it a a questery, not really a memoir. We go into that a fair bit, but it's called Not Just a Piece of Cake uh, and it's her take on a memoir. We also chat with Sarah Bacheller and Sarah being an author herself, uh, she also has uh, a book on our website, but she is... Hazel's producer for an audio book and so we talk all about writing and publishing and memoirs and so many different things as well as uh, the online dating which where they found each other and and jumped into the audio book relationship Sarah works for a company called or in fact I think she helped start it Voices of Today something that I'm quite interested in myself so yes we're talking to Hazel Edwards about anecdotary which is uh, her word for storytelling and we're talking to Sarah Bacheller who for this particular project was her producer. So let's jump in and hear all about Not Just a Piece of Cake. Absolutely. I have a very extra special interview for you today. We have two authors and a partnership that has been mutually beneficial Uh, Both of these ladies tell me. So I have with us Hazel Edwards, who is best known for the classic There's a Hippopotamus on Our Roof Eating Cake. The series actually behind that. Hazel Edwards OAM writes about coping successfully with being different for adults as well. Fiction and non-fiction, she's an idea risk taker. She's researched in Antarctica. She collaborates with writers from other cultures and many of her 200 plus books such as Hijabi Girl, have been adapted for performance and new media or translated. Uh, her adult mystery series, Celebrant Sleuth, I Do or Die, and sequel, Wed Then Dead on the Gan, is being adapted for screen. Her memoir explores the realities of juggling family and a long-term career as a professional authorpreneur. She also explores collaborating with co-writers, illustrators and performers. 
Welcome, Hazel. Thank you very much, Veronica. I'm delighted to speak with you today. Lovely. I've been looking forward to it. And when I mentioned to my sister-in-law, who is a primary school, was a primary school teacher, she was very jealous that I would be uh, able to have a chat with you. So now, Hazel, I'm coming to you from Wurundjeri land. Uh, The Woiwurrung people are the tribal, uh, sorry, traditional custodians. It's their tribal language up here. Where are you coming from today? Well, actually, I'm in the Wurundjeri area also, but Mm -hmm. I'm in Melbourne uh, in the Blackburn um, suburb, but it is the same land. (laughs) Excellent. You're all part of the Kula Nation. Yes. Our other participant is Sarah Bacala. Beg your pardon, Sarah, I hope that's correctly pronouncing your name. You can pronounce it however you like, Veronica. Oh, what? <laughs> Permission. <laughs> That's great. So Sarah is an audiobook producer and a narrator for Melbourne. She's working with the company Voices of Today. And Voices of Today produces public domain audiobooks as well as working with contemporary authors. This year, Sarah has produced audiobooks by Australian authors, including Hazel Edwards, Suzanne Gervais, Kate Constable and Rashida Murphy. She has 40 titles on Audible and participates in solo, duet and full cast production audiobooks. Sarah thoroughly enjoyed producing Not Just a Piece of Cake, being an author for Hazel Edwards. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much, Veronica. And I'm on Bunurong or Boonwurrung land, uh, just right between Port Phillip Bay and Western Port Bay. So Excellent. Very- yeah. Yeah, beautiful spot down there. Mm. Can you tell me, Hazel, how did this relationship begin? Well, it's a bit like admitting to online dating. But <laughs> we, we actually met uh, on Facebook. Um, uh, as an author, I um, have a number of, uh, I use the social media as an author rather than mm-hmm. privately. And I noticed this very resourceful person who was getting all sorts of things done in the audio world and had uh, lots of very practical advice when people asked her questions. Uh-huh. And so we linked up because at that stage I had um, in the previous year also narrated my uh, adult mystery, not just uh, um celebrant sleuth I do or die and Mm -hmm. I'd found it very challenging and it was up on audible and had been properly done in the studio but as I'm I'm more of an author than I am a performer (laughs) and I wanted to do the original one in order to have a much better knowledge of the process because although I'd recorded earlier books in studios like the Mm -hmm. hippopotamus and so on they were generally much shorter Yes, And to do a full-length book, I wasn't sure. And as you can hear, I have a little girl's voice. I don't have a professional actor's voice. (laughs) And um, I am so glad that I did the original one, but I was looking for an Australian-based audio producer who was efficient, Sarah fulfilled (laughs) that, definitely, and I wanted an Australian voice because I didn't want to narrate it myself, but I wanted the continuity of an Australian voice. And this is one of the things that's worried me a little bit. I was formerly on the board of the Australian Society of Authors, and Mm -hmm. uh, many Australian authors get their work up internationally, as we all do, but sometimes it ends up with American voices. And I was very interested in the process by which 
Sarah chose her narrators. She has a wide cast of potential narrators Mm -hmm. and auditions them for the writer concerned. And I appreciated the professionalism with which she did that and the efficiency in getting the eventual book up on all the all the online audio sites that Mm -hmm. I was most interested in. So I was interested in her professionalism, but it was also the Australian, a neutral Australian voice was what I needed. Yes. It's incredibly important that readers hear the voice that they Mm. can understand, isn't it? Yeah. I'm currently listening to an audio book by uh, an Australian, um, Kerry Greenwood. I'm listening to The Lady with the Gun Asks the Question, which is, of course, the lovely Phryne Fisher um, detective. And uh, Wendy Boss is the audio narrator. And uh, it is lovely to hear her voice talking about all the the Melbourne things and the things we're familiar with. Hmm. Well, I think it's particularly important. And in my case, I had a double challenge because I tend to be known as a children's author Mm-hmm. of the hippopotamus books, yes. uh, known as the hippopotamus lady, which is a mix <laughs> my height and size. But um, I also write uh, adult nonfiction in areas like sociopaths and difficult personalities, mm. and I also write adult mysteries. And so I wanted a voice that was approachable across genres as well. Because you do write across many genres. So yes. I'd like to get to not just a piece of cake uh, momentarily, but Sarah, can you tell me about working with an author who mm. has such a broad library of, or, you know, broad catalogue, I guess? How was it different perhaps from somebody who just has a single genre? Well, I think probably the project is approached in a similar matter, in a mm-hmm. similar way, sorry you know, in terms of the the process that you go through in um, casting and whatnot. Although, of course, if you're putting together a multicast production, then sort of the degree of difficulty increases somewhat. But Mm -hmm. look, I think probably authors approach, you know, audio production with perhaps an idea in mind of, you know, the sort of narrator they'd they'd like, just like Hazel wanted to have a neutral um, Australian voice that, Mm -hmm. you know, will be familiar to Australian ears, but approachable to um, people, for, for people with other accents as well. Yeah, I don't know that there's necessarily a great deal of difference except it's it's handy working with an author who has experience in lots of fields because, you know, that adds a sort of richness and, and a wide amount of um, knowledge to the whole process and to marketing and, and that sort of thing. Okay, so can you tell me a little bit about the relationship between uh, producer, audiobook producer and narrator and the author? So how do those mm. dynamics work? Yeah, well... Probably Australia is a bit of a unique context because in places like the UK or the US, authors have access to the ACX platform Mm. and that's Amazon's audiobook production platform where basically authors and narrators uh, who've also function as, as their own producers meet up, you know, online the online dating metaphor again, um, <laughs> over a book project, you know. So um, obviously narrators will look for books that are suited to their style, the sort of genre that they like to do and that sort of thing and vice versa. Whereas in Australia we don't have ACX, uh, so it's harder for authors and producers or narrators to make those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and that probably has a little bit of an advantage when it comes to working with authors like Hazel because that actually means that 
there's more of a relationship that can be developed in the process and we can pay sort of closer attention to the book that's being produced. It's not sort of like there's a virtual divide between, you know, author and narrator producer, but Voices of Today is, you know, really invested in the project itself. And so there's sort of a company that then takes on that book and then they're marketing it as well, I guess, just like a traditional um, publisher, but that might not happen, you know, using ACX where people are uh, organising it themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, that said, you know, the traditional publishers uh, will choose to produce audiobooks, have audiobooks produced of a lot of work, but authors aren't necessarily always included in that process in terms of choosing a narrator. They might be, but they might not be. Yeah, for us in this process, it's, it's good working with a small company. It's like when you when you work with a small group of people, you can develop good quality relationships and um, people aren't just numbers, if you know what I mean. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, and so it's just for me it was a mediating role um, as a point of contact with Hazel and then, you know, shouting out to the narrators who are uh, within, within our network to find the right fit for Hazel's book. Mm-hmm. And so I just sort of mediated that process, oversaw the... Um, the process with the narrator, you know, sent the book off. Well, no, actually I did the proofing myself, but, you know, sending it off for mastering it. And I guess doing the administrative side of things really, holding together the administrative threads and making sure the things that need to be done are done. <laughs> keeping yes. Hazel updated too, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Keeping and I say in, um, as a compliment to Sarah, one of the things that attracted me to her business was her attention to detail and following through and things like offering at least three audition tapes to choose from. Now, I had no idea where in in the world the narrators were and Erin ended up narrating and I'm very happy with her and she's in Perth. So that relationship has been interesting and it's the sort of relationship that if you're an author with multiple titles, you're likely to go back and use though that three-way relationship again yes. uh, because I was particularly, uh, I tend to be into long-term relationships, I was particularly interested in the administration in connection with international sales and into public libraries and so on. And Sarah has been particularly good in that. But the relationship with the narrator was fascinating for me because words that I thought there was no other way of saying that word, (laughs) I have a particularly difficult maiden name called Muir Moya. And uh, Aaron, it's in the book. I've, I've forgotten it was in the book. Um, and uh, Aaron contacted me and wrote phonetically, how should she say this particular word? <laughs> and I also have family with strange names. So um, she, I was very impressed with her attention to detail too. So I think in the present environment, the pandemic, the lockdown, COVID, etc. I think in the broader world of the arts, uh, what has happened is that the reliable professional relationships are what are going ahead. They may be smaller, but they are very effective in this present climate because you rely on each other. And many people have been working out of their own home offices, well, authors mm. do that anyway, but um And so you can rely on someone to keep to deadlines and and you know how they work. And I think uh, it's been a positive 
of the lockdown that perhaps some of the bigger organisations haven't been able to capitalise on. And so this has been a very good time um, for Sarah's audio company to blossom because many, many more people have been listening to audio in this period because they've been well, exercising more yes. and listening, <laughs> or it gets them through the mundane tasks like folding clothes, as yes. Sarah often mentions. The attitude to the format in which a story is has become increasingly important. And this is something that we had talked about. And, of course, for an author at present, the electronic books and audio books are not uh, eligible for a digital lending right, as no, print right. ones are. And mm. that's a situation, I think, which is going to have to change. But meantime, this has been the boom couple of years of audio. And one of the reasons that this fairly atypical, just a piece of cake book has been popular is that it covers... A lot of people have been decluttering their lives at home yes. and come across <laughs> lots of photos and memorabilia of their family and so on. And they've also been at a point of considering what is the most important thing in their life. And there's been a big shift in values for many people and they're wanting to capture by writing or organising um, a photographic record or by doing things that consolidate what they think is important. And so an approachable book about how you might actually write while you've got other things going on in your life, like family and so on, is where this one is suddenly becoming very relevant. And because for me, it was always a problem in that I had such a broad area of writing. I'd always avoided writing an autobiography, and I wouldn't call this ah. a conventional autobiography <laughs> at all because often they're chronological boredom of dates. But yes. this one was more structured in answer to the most common questions I'd been asked as an author across a long period of time and also uh, based on what I call anecdotal adultery, which we must get right. I love and that word. Adultery, which is <laughs> anecdotes or mini stories. And that is one of the ways that a professional author crafts a story by hooking you in at the beginning rather than giving you lots of dates and places, getting the human interest stories to begin with. And so that is why this is atypically structured book which in the beginning I was worried wasn't going to work because yes. most people expect I've written a book about um, hippos only it's not that at all although there's an interesting chapter on fan mail mm -hmm. but um, trying to make it attractive to aspiring writers of any age whether they be adult or children but also looking at the more adventurous life of an author, this mentally adventurous and this physically adventurous hmm. of places like uh, researching by participant observation. I've been on Antarctic expedition and so on. I am a little jealous of you about going to Antarctica. So I'll it was a, a cool <laughs> experience, Veronica. So that's part of the reason why we came together. Um, I think it was, what, 18 months or so ago, wasn't it, Sarah? I'm not good oh. on dates. Well, time is all a vortex now, isn't it? Yeah, no, <laughs> Early pandemic, I think. Yeah, yes, that's right. yes, that's that, right. that places and it. 
it'll become a, a period, yes. So can I ask you, Hazel, uh, I'm going to read the blurb about the back cover blurb for the memoir because while you've written 200 or so books, uh, this is the one that's really on our mind at the moment. There's, and there's a couple of fabulous words in there that I'd love you to go further on. So let me read the blurb. Hazel Edwards has a cake-eating hippo on her roof, an OAM for literature, and thousands of book children as well as a real family. Then there are hazelnuts she has mentored and a readership in 13 languages. Using anecdotary, which is Hazel's term for storytelling, she explains where her ideas came from and why writing, long term, is mentally risky but vital culturally and contributes to a non-boring life. The hippocampus is where memories are kept, even those of Antarctica where Hazel was an expeditioner. Now Hazel's hippocampus is overflowing. Her stories have given adult fans and child readers diverse insights into other worlds, both fact and fiction. She's now sharing the creative process of her quest and the quandary of how much to reveal. And, in brackets, OAM is not for hippo as an outsized awesome myth. <laughs> Hazel, there was a, a compulsion to put all of these thoughts into a book, to take that anecdotary and bring it together as the memoir, but not as an autobiography. What was the trigger for putting it all together? Oh, well, partly I was flying home from Darwin and I had some heart problems. I ended mm -hmm. up in hospital mm -hmm. and I thought my poor daughter is going to have to sort through all my literary uh, <laughs> yes, sorry, files. And um, I thought well, look, what I could do is I could go through them quietly in the next year, get them organised. And uh, so I'd leave tidied literary heritage. Mm -hmm. But what I found was that the only memories that I had were the ones where I had immediately written about an experience after it had happened, okay. whether it was trekking in Nepal or hot air ballooning or whatever it was. Um, I generally tended to write immediately afterwards. But if I hadn't, I'd forgotten those other memories. Mm. And I became conscious that um, there were diverse things like tours out back as an author and all the funny things that had happened and so on, but how to fit them together into one work. And I thought, I'll blow it. I won't do all the things I tell other people to do, which is to stop <laughs> doing. I will start, and I, I won't make it chronological, but I will start with what how I first learned to read. And so that's it starts with the anecdote with my grandmother. But the rest of it, and talking about how authors exaggerate, but the rest of it I wrote, and I had a working title, The Map of Serendipity, which I jumped somewhere along the way, as making order out of fortuitous things that had happened that weren't planned, and pretty much that's what this was. And so I thought, I don't care if it's not typical. The process is going to be creative because I knew otherwise I would never go through all those files. <laughs> and I'm sure your daughter is incredibly grateful for oh, your uh, decluttering. Mm. <laughs> hazelnuts. Just tell me a little bit well, about your I hazelnuts. Didn't, I didn't start that. Um, that was an affectionate term that uh, I, I had a teaching background as well and I 
I used to teach in the professional writing class part-time at Homeschooling Institute. And mm -hmm. across the years, I had a number of, of people who finished their books in my class. At that stage, it wasn't called Complete Your Book in a Year and it wasn't called Writing an Onboarding Family History. It was mainly a book-length project course. And they started calling themselves hazelnuts. Ah. So across the year, you're only entitled to call yourself a hazelnut if you finish your book in a year, doesn't matter what sort of book, and you get it published or you publish it yourself or you take it to the aim that you had originally, which might well be audio recording it, it might be performing it, whatever it is. And so I've got a very diverse collection of hazelnuts now and I've got an entire shelf in the study now of, of my hazelnuts works and I'm proud of all of them. Oh, and they range from... Um, at the moment, uh, uh, the last couple of years, I had one, Darren, who, who wrote about Italian prisoner of war camp. Quite a few of them have got an historical basis to them because I did run uh, courses and talks on writing a non-boring family history, which is also based on the idea of anecdotes rather than dates and chronological order. And so there's a range, there's one by uh, him, there's lots and lots where they've talked about the extraordinary, so-called ordinary people in their own families, but in a way that other people would want to read. Some of them have written picture books, some of them have, oh, all sorts, mm -hmm. and um, I'm proud of all of them. That's fantastic. I love that you've given so much back to not only the reading community but to, you know, writers and obviously, you know, interpreters and schools, so many people. So tell me, how did you get involved with some of the other cultures, writing things like Hijabi Girl and then sliding into uh, mental uh, health and mental wellness in difficult personalities? What made you pivot? Let's talk about the pivot word. Yes, what made you pivot or branch out well, into other areas? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I wasn't aware until somebody wrote an article <laughs> about me that I I was looking at coping successfully with being different. And I've mm. seized on that since because I think yeah. that's true. And so all the way through it was about coping successfully with being different, whether you were different in a different culture, in a different language, different circumstances, I tended to be attracted to people who were pro solving problems or mm -hmm. adjusting to change. So that's where the F2M book, which is about transitioning gender, mm -hmm. the young adult book, uh, I co-wrote. And you'll notice that some of them are co-written because then the person who belongs to that particular culture is my co-writer. Mm -hmm. And that is the way in which it's, it's very genuine. In, in its uh, basis. He was a family friend. That's gone on now and they're making a um, comic graphic novel about it in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Hijabi Girl came about almost 10 years ago when I spoke at a library conference and Erske, um, who was a Muslim librarian, came up to me and said, would you write a book about the girls I work with who wear, young girls who wear hijabs and they never have anything to dress up as for the school book parade, except they are just so over Little Red Riding Hood. Right. And so it came about, it, and now we have a full-scale 
a Larrikin Puppets uh, puppet musical with the most fabulous puppets that will be premiering in Brisbane in June. It should have been out three years ago, but you can all guess what intervened. Ah, yes. Uh, <laughs> and so it's got original music and the puppet company, husband and wife, have been absolutely magnificent on this. We've now moved to um, originally the book that we wrote together. I didn't want to want to write it, I said to her, okay, you do it, it's your culture, you write it. Mm-hmm. And she kept on at me. And so we eventually wrote it together. It, we couldn't get a publisher. We had 41 rejections oh. because of the cultural issues. Mm-hmm. And then I published it. And now we have an Islamic publisher, um, Mr Alligator, who's taking it into all the international school book clubs uh, for mainstream students and for Islamic students. And there's a series of three uh, books at the moment in that series and very accessible. And the chief girl in there, Malik, is starting a girls' footy team. Uh-huh. Aussie girls' footy team. And we even have an Aussie rules footy puppet. Ah, excellent, <laughs> excellent. And rice rolls and we've got an African kid and it's it really is uh, going to be um, a mainstream experience that will influence a lot of young children to cope successfully with being different or to be reassured that there's someone like them in a story. That is so important. I hear that from so many of our authors that they wrote about. That they took who part of who they were. Be Gary Lonsborough talking about being a, a gay Indigenous man mm-hmm. and how growing up there were no stories with him in it and now he has a story and he's getting feedback from fans saying, I love to see myself in a book. And I imagine that Hijabi Girl and F2M, all of those books, give people themselves? Well, I think so. Um, Our children went to a Jewish school and learned Hebrew and uh, my husband and I were not Jewish. And so I wrote a story then, So Who's a Misfit, about a girl who wasn't Jewish in a Mm -hmm. Jewish school. So I've covered the spectrum, I think, by now. (laughs) But quite often it is actually easier to have a character who is an animal or an insect who will also demonstrate the adjustment to other cultures and that that can be a, a more of a, a, a fable or a, or a satire in some cases and will have a longer life. Mm. Speak to a broader audience. Yeah. Yes, yes. Sarah, can I ask you about what got you into audiobook recording? <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good question, Veronica. Um Oh, well, it started uh, with motherhood, actually. (laughs) I had just had my second daughter and my three-year-old was wanting bedtime stories and, you know, my eyes were falling out of my head with tiredness. I couldn't couldn't keep them open to read. My brain wasn't working well enough to make something up. So I thought, okay, we're going to listen to something. And at the time I went, I was uh, familiar with an organisation called LibriVox Mm -hmm. uh, who have volunteers around the globe and record thousands and thousands and thousands of public domain texts, so texts that no one owns a copyright to anymore. Right. Um, and they record those. Sometimes you might have one person recording a whole book. Sometimes you might have, you know, a different person recording every chapter. 
Um, I listened to some George Eliot last year, I think, which had, you know, people from all over the world with lots of different accents um, recording, you know, offering a chapter in, I don't know if it was Middle March or Scenes of Clerical Life or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which is so interesting. And, you know, you have, there was one narrator just has the most ochre Aussie accent you could possibly imagine <laughs> reading these sort of, you know, 19th century pastoral English scenes, but it's great. Like it works, you know, that's what imaginations are for. Um, anyway, I'm digressing. Um, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, so uh, LibriVox, I would just put on, you know, The Secret Garden or some child-friendly audiobook, and my kids and I would lie there and we'd all fall asleep, you know, at the same time. Perfect. Um, and at the end of the LibriVox, each chapter they say, um, or at the start of each chapter they say, this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I tend to be inquisitive and I visited LibriVox.org one day and um, decided to volunteer and read a chapter of a book. So I did that and um, my husband is a, musician and music producer he's a teacher but you know that's his real job and the music um the 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 hobby so he set me up I mean it wasn't difficult they give you all the instructions you need about you know what free software to download and they're not picky about audio quality um at LibriVox because then it's more inclusive Mm -hmm. and so I contributed some chapters to LibriVox and then randomly got an email from a guy in Perth who ran a an association of audiobook narrators and so the rest is sort of history. I jumped on board with them and uh, started doing some public domain stuff for Audible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a year or two ago, he asked if I'd like to become director and and sort of step up into into the serious world of running a company. So we've been doing that for the last couple of years. But that's sort of how it started, and I'm learning things all the time. <laughs> Sounds excellent. Almost yeah. serendipitous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yep. did you have a history? Did you have a singing voice or is that a part <laughs> of being an audio book narrator? I did a bit of singing up the front at church, but I don't <laughs> think my voice was particularly um, good. I did grow up in a very musical family and play a few different instruments, mm-hmm. but primarily my mother read to us all the time as children at bedtime, you know, even right up to when I was in high school, we'd still go through phases where, you know, we'd get out our favourite books and she'd read to us at bedtime. So much so that when I go to read to my children at night, I just can't stop yawning because the association <laughs> is so strong. We're sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that's Reading and good. being read to and I read myself to sleep. But, you know, so I think that's where the love of it came from. And, you mm. know, I, I am a compulsive writer myself so just being immersed in words and stories and interpretive work I mm-hmm. guess you know reading aloud is sort of just part of that it's the next step yeah yeah no, yeah it's lovely it's interesting Mother's Day recently we were all on Zoom as we were my children my baby's 25 so yeah my children a bit older mm-hmm. but asked them what were some of their, my husband asked them what were some of their good memories about me and my middle son said, mum coming home from work and reading to us before we went to bed. Mm. And, you know, they're all great readers. My husband's not a great reader, but interesting that that was one of his, Angus's strongest strongest memories, Mm. was having those books read aloud. He said I did the voices much better than dad, so, you know. (laughs) 
Well, oh, my, done. Children, my children tell me off when I do voices. I oh no! Practicing my accent, and they roll their eyes. And... Oh, mum. Can I share a little anecdote? Oh, absolutely. Last yes. night, um, I have four grandsons, but the two younger ones are in Darwin. One's one, and the other is three. And I had I read to them on on Zoom. I had sent up uh, the older one, Arlo. Aloera Fura is very keen on jigsaws. And mm-hmm. I discovered on my desk here when I was tidying up that I actually had a jigsaw that went with one of my original books, Sticky Beat, which is the ah, same yes. vintage as Hippo. They came out at about the same time. Anyway, I had two copies of this jigsaw that I'd completely forgotten about. I'd posted it up with the book about a week ago and they rang me to say oh this parcel's arrived he's going to open in front of the camera to show you Uh. and then he read uh, he he didn't read his father read it to him and said i remember the duck Ah. that was based on and then he um alo did the jigsaw pass and i thought this is actually a poignant moment his father's 45 he remembers the duck. Oh, it wasn't really called Sticky Beak at all. It was called Fluffy. Um, <laughs> he remembered that too. And I thought, isn't that great? And now, as you said, with the reading to the different generations, um, you don't think so at the time when you're really tired and you read to a young child or you read to anybody else. You don't realise the impact that you have. And that's one of the things with being a writer. Sometimes you don't know what impact that particular book has had because you don't know who's read it. Mm. It mightn't be just the person who bought the book. It might be whoever they loaned it to or whoever picked it up in the op shop or whatever. But that is really, and that is why. Having a chapter of, say, the the being um, not just a piece of cake, I put in some of the fan mail because mm. um, as a children's author, you tend to get more responses to your stories than you do as an adult. Mm-hmm. An adult will tell you if you've got something wrong usually, they'll write. <laughs> but um, a child will sometimes write to the character rather than to the author. Yes. And so I've had to answer on behalf of the hippo and I've also had to answer on behalf of Sticky Beak the duck. Oh, and there was a question that came to Sticky Beak and said, Dear Sticky Beak, where were you before you were an egg? Oh. <laughs> well, luckily <clears throat> it was an email. It wasn't a face-to-face. I could take my time. And I wrote back and said, I was an idea. Oh, Ah, that is beautiful. But the fan mail must have been incredible from the children with all of the children's books that you've had. Yeah. There are some very poignant ones um, with the hippo books. For some reason, the particularly the one about the hosp- going to hospital, the purple one, mm-hmm. um, that is extremely comforting to many children who visited lots of hospitals and have got perhaps long-term health issues. Mm-hmm. And there have been some extremely poignant letters that have come from parents, one who was in the ambulance with the child and said we had been reading the book there. And, mm. um, but even more poignant, um, someone with a child with a long-term uh, health problem and they'd worn out 10 copies of the book. <gasps> 
by reading it all the time and they hope they didn't mind uh, I didn't mind that they'd actually recorded it on their phones so they could use it with the child in other circumstances I said that was fine with me so audio can be very comforting to a child and a book uh, that is really well structured will have a, a rhythm to the language yes and that is comforting as well and so with say the hippo books uh, I've got a teaching background and they are deliberately very carefully structured people don't realize at the time but the best written of all of mine is actually sticky beak in terms oh. of structure if you read that one aloud it works better than any of the others <laughs> there you go there is that rhythm yes indeed and you mentioned in some of the information you sent to us uh, before we're chatting today that there's a certain amount of eavesdropping on children that goes on. It's called research. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I've had other authors say anything is fair game if it is said or done in their presence. Well, I must admit there's something else I'd call literary terrorism. <laughs> okay. I, I try not to commit that, and that is putting down your view of what's happened when others there might write about it too and not think it's fair. I, I think there's a difference between using a situation or an embarrassing moment mm -hmm. that has happened to yourself or your children or your grandchildren but not necessarily tying it to a particular child. It's more the situation. Yes. And I try not to because in very early years, I write a, a book for each grandchild for each birthday, except the 23-year-old writes his own now. <laughs> um, Good. But uh, it, it's important. Uh, that that's, a, that's not a commercial book. That is a book for that particular child. They love that. By the time they're teenagers, if you have a mother, a parent um, or a grandmother in particular who writes books and who puts you things that you did that were really embarrassing and you are now a teenager, there is no way in the world you're going to own any of those. <laughs> but later, as you get a little older and become a parent of your own, you yes. repossess them because it's quite useful. So I think you have to respect people's genuinely tragic or embarrassing moments but as a writer you tend to exaggerate anyway yes. and that's why it's much safer to use animals mm, little poetic license tell me about other research because i want to hear more about antarctica i had heard of uh, a writer who had got the what was then called the Antarctic birth it's called a fellowship now mm -hmm. uh, to go to one of the Australian bases on a round trip that is not for the full year it's for about six weeks of the resupply trip in return you had to write or use whatever art you had whether you were a photographer whatever internationally to portray Antarctica uh, from the point of view of someone who wasn't a scientist and I knew of the illust an illustrator who had done that um, from Tasmania and I was just blown away by what she'd done. I thought it was fantastic. Now, when I learned that you had to do an extremely stringent medical before you went down, I thought I'd have no hope. Plus the fact I was a bit old, 55 is the cutoff level. Anyway, it made me um, 
nervous enough to get myself fit. Mm-hmm. And I did actually get there. Um, it was, a, a, I would say, one of the most significant participant observation. What I mean by that is you go and you do in order that you can write about it afterwards, but you know that. Mm-hmm. And I uh, wrote about seven or eight book-length works after that based on Antarctica. Probably the best known is Antarctic Dad, the picture book, which has just been reissued too. Mm -hmm. And that's great for parents who work away from children for a long time, uh, their children, and um, uh, some of the military use that and those who are working in mining camps and oil rigs and so on. So it's it's a general one. But I I also did a, a, a possible animation series then called Hot Ice Squad, but ice has changed its meaning in the time. Ah, yes. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately it didn't get up, but it was based on the vehicles of Antarctica. But I also wrote a young adult novel, Antarctica's Frozen Chosen, and have subsequently done a number of scripts and so on. It was the most fantastic experience for a writer because all the expeditioners are picked and they are the best series of problem solvers you could imagine Mm. and so uh, unfortunately we had a chopper crash on top of us and it looked like we'd be there for a long time we were stuck in the ice beset and it's interesting to discover of yourself how you cope in extreme circumstances I'm fabulous I'm terrible afterwards (laughs) and that's why those who are afflicted with imagination think oh what if what if this had happened to that but when it's actually happened I'm okay so that would probably be the most extreme and I came away with a great respect for science a great interest in Antarctica and it's what they call ice affected you become seduced by Antarctica and particularly the icebergs and an iceberg represents a bit like a book nine-tenths is below the surface. And when you look at a a published book or even an audio book, you don't realise how much other work, the other 90% that went into it in order to get it to that stage. And that's why I think an audio book at the moment is the most important format. Um, You've got the story structured, but it is versatile enough to travel with you almost anywhere. It gives you a continuity of story. And that's why, again, I think the fact that I broke mine up into chapters of different sorts of adventures and different sorts of writing experiences, I dealt with things about, you know, how much your family's involved with what you write and so on. So people can listen to that in segments, but it's part of a whole. So I think at the moment I would predict that audiobooks are going to become even more important than e-books. Hmm. A good prediction. We will watch that carefully because I think you are on the money there. Hazel, can I ask you, have you changed the way you write because you now have an experience with audiobooks or having your books uh, in an audio format? Apart from the structure that you mentioned about the memoir, uh, uh, do you write yeah, dialogue think, differently? or? Yes, I think so. But mm. I, I think where I learned that most was when I had to read Celebrant Sleuth. Ah. The producer I had there was highly, highly experienced and he indicated to me how to get more of a rhythm 
into the writing and I became very conscious of it. In the past, I'd always read and tested, workshopped Mm -hmm. my shorter stories with children and so on, but I hadn't tended to do that with the adult ones and I came away from that thinking I must read it aloud as a writer, even if people think I'm going a bit dippy, because you've got to fix it up to make sure it has the appropriate intonation um, and it fits with it. So I think my short answer would be yes, but on the other hand, I think that I've learned quite a lot from writing scripts too, particularly in terms of the dialogue. And I've worked with uh, the scriptwriter, Jeffrey uh, Wright, on uh, adapting for, for the ABC the Wed Then Dead on the Gan, which is the sequel to Celebrant Sleuths. I learned a colossal amount with him in terms of scripting uh, dialogue uh, for a longer work. And each project I've been on, I have been privileged to learn from someone else their particular skills and then apply it to the next project, hopefully. Yes, yes. And seeing I've, I'm what is now called a vintage author. I love I've that. Around for a while. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Tell me, Sarah, you're also a writer. Yes. You have one of your books on the Australian Book Lovers website. You do, yes. Tell us um, just a little about that. Yeah, so I um, had a novella published in 2020 called The Fault Lines Founding Liberty. It's literary fiction. It's about a young woman sort of dealing with a whole lot of, I don't know, life baggage and anxiety. And she serendipitously uh, develops a friendship with an older woman who's sort of working through her own sort of existential questions, but has, has probably already worked through some of the questions that the younger woman is already working through. And so their conversations become very helpful uh, and rich. So uh, that was the story of me processing a whole lot of life stuff and writing a novella was, uh, that's its own challenge, but in a way it was a stepping stepping stone to writing something uh, longer. But, yeah, apart from that, I do a bit of academic writing, working on a nice long thesis and that sort of thing. So Ah. a bit of of fiction on the side is something a bit different. (laughs) Change of pace. A change of pace. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Back to you, Hazel. I'm going to ask you a question that you might think is a little bit unfair because you have so many real children and grandchildren, but of your book babies, do you have a favourite? Oh, that's definitely an unfair question. Definitely. Uh, I think in general terms, you know, people love the hippo books and so on, but I think in terms of creativity, I have other favourites, <laughs> and, and one is called Fay Mouse. It's a right. storybook about a large and clumsy cat born into a family of highly talented mice. It's out of print now, but it was a um, it was published by Penguin, and it was it was made into a rock pop musical. Uh, the school wow. put on, which was interesting, mm-hmm. um, and it's been used in various other ways, but it's out of print at the moment. But I like that because of, again, the coping successfully with being different. But mm. ironically, it was illustrated by Deborah Nyland's twin, identical twin sister, oh. um, Jenny, <laughs> who unfortunately passed away. But um, I, I, I thought that one was very imaginative. 
But there are, there are others that are, I've just reissued one called Skin, Zip, Skin Zipped, which was about a girl who unzipped her skin because she got so sunburned. Um, that was based on my daughter, but my family are all redheads and um, mm. very fair skins. She got very burnt when she was young. <laughs> she hasn't got burnt since. She's been ah. covered all the time. And it it is a fanciful one for a, a reader of about eight. And the really interesting thing for me is that was written quite some time ago when she was about eight and she's mm-hmm. now 48. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fanciful in that uh, a young girl had got sunburned, her skin had unzipped, fallen on the floor and her mother had thrown it in the wash and it shrank. Oh, dear. So she couldn't put it on. So she was a see-through person. But now it's a terrific story in terms of diversity and uh, coping with somebody who's a little different but coping quite well with being a see-through person, except you can see when she eats a beetroot sandwich. But, um, you know, uh, for me, looking at some of my earlier books, some of them convert into new formats. That one's just gone into an e-book. Some of them don't. If they had technology in them like um, a Walkman or a Polaroid camera or something, they're dated. Yes. And some of the early mysteries I wrote are now dated because kids would say, oh, you just Google that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they don't con- But Skin Zip Me is a rare one, and I just changed the title. It used to be called Skin Zip Me. I've called it Skin Zipped. Now, partly so I can distinguish which book's which. Mm-hmm. Um, that one has endured, and in terms of creativity, I think it is. And another quirky one would be uh, Astrid, the mind-reading chook, who solves uh. mysteries and writes to Hardy Davidson. I was always very fond of that one, um, and that's available on, as an e-book now, but I don't think I've got a print version of that. But I was quite fond of that one because... It's the intellectual challenge of writing within a fantasy. Mm -hmm. So whether the fantasy is you've got see-through clothes and it's going to be uncomfortable, see-through skin, it's going to be uncomfortable to sit anywhere and it doesn't take you seven years to redo your skin. Uh, With a mind-reading chook, you can't get credit for being sleuthy if you can read everybody's mind. How did it come to (laughs) read minds? You know, you've you've got to put an apparently logical reason in there. So I like the intellectual challenge of a consistent fantasy, whether it be that the hippo doesn't speak but the child knows it's there, mm-hmm. um, whether it's that or um, when you've got something really quirky like those other ones being consistent with it. So that does not answer your question at all. That's all right. <laughs> you don't have to say which is your favourite. <laughs> But you have given us a little sneaky look into a couple of the others and why they're your favourites, so that's yeah. lovely. Well, there's a bit of a bit of contact on my website for most of those titles. Any of them that are available as e-books, um, e-book alchemy's got them listed with information. And and I'd certainly, um, I'm going to look at converting some of them into audio, but mm-hmm. I'm picking very, very carefully. Mm, <laughs> but I hope, plenty to pick from. <laughs> hope to do them with Sarah in the future. Lovely. Hey, so what would your advice be to first-time authors? Get on with it. <laughs> you can't get um, plainer than that. No, I think procrastination is the greatest difficulty for anybody. 
I keep putting it off. And one of the reasons is it's never going to be as perfect on the paper or on the screen as it was in your head. Yes. And it's also a bit like writing naked, everybody's seeing inside you. Mm. And so people are very apprehensive. I've been running online now since COVID instead of face-to-face courses on complete your book in a year. Mm-hmm. And most people find it incredibly difficult to get going for the first month or so. But once they start regularly getting something down, and that's that's the important thing, any larger work is just a combination of little bits that you've got done every day. I personally find I use the iPad quite a lot when I'm out and about because there's a notepad in there that I can write bits on mm-hmm. when I'm waiting in queues somewhere. Ah, yes, we're doing plenty and of that at the moment. Yeah, that can transfer by iCloud through and I, it might even be just a few lines, but it's enough to get me started the next time. So uh, a bit of technology to make it easier, but constant, uh, little bits and pieces put it together. Good advice. And one more about social media for authors. Yeah. What do you think has been most effective for you in reaching your reader audience? My website. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my daughter is my marketing manager and she took me under her wing about 10 years ago and straightened <laughs> me out. Oh, I'm not really very visual. So I have a lot of resources on there that are downloadable as a section for aspiring writers and so on. And I I keep I now know how to keep it up to date myself. That's an important thing. So I would say the website first of all. But of the other social media, Twitter is the best for a time poor one person creative mm-hmm. because you can put it on there and it's possible to link with hashtags to other people. Makes yes. me sound I'm high tech. I'm not really. Facebook is a play around, but I use Facebook or I still use Facebook as a way of learning how to load photographs in the right, you know, they're not too big, low yes, or yeah. whatever it happens to be. I do use LinkedIn, but that's more of a, a, a professional LinkedIn mm-hmm. one. Um Instagram, I haven't quite got the hang of that yet because it's very photographic. Yes. But I would say Twitter is the most used. But on the other hand, Facebook has enabled me to make two or three very important contacts. One of them was Sarah (laughs) (laughs) on audio, and we've not yet met in person. The second one was Larrikin Puppeteers who are doing the Hijabi Girl and we met some years ago when they requested some stories to perform. And the third one is I keep in touch with my grandsons through the private one. Ah, um, yes. <laughs> and that, that, that is helpful there. So I think that, but I think also belonging to professional organisations is helpful too. I'm the patron of the Society of Women Writers, but mm-hmm. always belong to the Australian Society of Authors. Yes. And whoever is appropriate for the sort of writing that you're doing, whether it's Sisters in Crime or, you know, whatever's the relevant organisation, I think you need some external input or to know who you go and ask how to do something 
different. Society, uh, sorry, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators is another one that's very useful for those who are illustrators and writers. Yeah, and I've seen they're very active on Twitter as well. Sarah, a quick question for you. What have you found most helpful in your production relationship with Hazel in terms of your own writing? Have you picked up any hints? Oh, yeah, hugely, hugely. There's (laughs) nothing like being pulled alongside someone who's charging forward and, and just knows the terrain. So, oh, it's been great. Firstly, I remember sitting in the school library as a kid with our librarian, Mrs Eltham, reading us the hippo books. So for a bit of author inspiration, um, that's been pretty exciting to um, get to know Hazel and to develop a working relationship with her um, with producing audio. Her marketing skills and her just connections and ability to network and get out there, I think, are second to none. And also, you know, just she demonstrates the sort of confidence that comes, I guess, over time and with experience and just persistence you just put yourself out there, you put your work out there, you just, you know, you just keep doing it. And when you do that, people were just there and they can they can make up their minds about you, but at least you've given them the choice, you know, by yeah. putting yourself out there. So that's been fantastic. Wow. And and the book too, actually the content of Not Just a Piece of Cake um, has been brilliant because it talks about, you know, juggling family and work and going on all kinds of adventures, which, you know, it's it's, well... Lots of us have been confined to our homes the last couple of years, but just seeing woman, mother, writer who aspires to things and goes for them, I think is, um, it's great. It's like we talked about seeing yourself in books, but, you know, mm-hmm. seeing yourself in other places, it's it's easy enough to come across people who, I don't know, not that they intentionally hold themselves back or that the sort of dynamics where people are, afraid of stepping out or being aspirational or being a, you know, strong-willed woman or, you know, things like that. Not that I'm calling you a strong-willed woman, Hazel, but I don't <laughs> think you probably mind saying, anyway. I think she'd take that one anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think she would. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just think that's fantastic, you know, and it's broadened my horizons. Excellent. Just say one thing. One of the difficulties, I think, is when you write and it's not a difficult read, it's a plus actually, but if you write a lot of books or you have a long-term career, you cannot be writing a misery memoir about your childhood again and again and again and again. Now, there are some people who write the same book all the time. And if you want a long-term career, you have to diversify. You have to perhaps look at different genres, different content, and things won't necessarily be autobiographical. If there are, very few people can do enough in their lifetime to write about themselves for 50 years. <laughs> Pretty boring. Um, so you have to keep learning new things. So each year I try and go and do something I haven't done before. The year before I did a forensic science course because I needed to know a bit more about the forensic clues for the mystery. I didn't want to be a forensic scientist, but it took me out of my comfort zone. I went and did belly dancing 20 years ago, and I'm still doing 101, which I quite like. It's my exercise. But it was a completely different thing. So I think what you've got to do as a writer is to be uh, to have the childlike, not childish, childlike interest in learning something new from the bottom. 
and not be worried. That's an unfortunate choice there, isn't it? But um, <laughs> not be worried about not having status or anything like that. You want to learn. Mm. And the learning or the participant observation in learning something new will add dimensions to your characters. So, uh, I mean, sometimes it's forced on you. Sometimes you get commissioned to do something. I was commissioned to do a book on pyrotechnics. I know an awful lot about fireworks now. You know, it, it's very diverse, but it makes your life rich. Most writers are not wealthy, even if you manage to make a living for a, for a lifetime, probably comparable to a teacher. But you can have an enriched life in terms yes. of ideas, the range of personalities whom you meet, the people you choose to interview, you are enriched by learning about their cultures or whatever their passions are. There is no boring person. If you can ask them the right question, oh, no, that's not quite right. I did meet one. (laughs) Don't tell us who that is. It was a bloke. Um, But generally, if you can get them to talk about whatever it is that thrills them, you can be enriched by that experience too Mm. and you can transfer it to one of your characters because when you first start, you tend to give occupations to your characters that you've experienced yes, or situations that you've experienced. And so I, I've got a range of about 20 occupations I could draw on originally, but that's not enough. <laughs> so you need to find someone who is your plumber that you can ask plumbing details when you need to, like for Plato the Platypus plumber story. Or uh, you might need to know someone who knows about fireworks or whatever mm. it is so that you can ring up quickly and say, hey, can I say this? And they say, no, you couldn't say that. Uh, For police officers, there's a difference between on the job and in the job. makes a difference. Get the terminology right. So that is the real benefit of being a long-term author. You become a long-term learner and it's a much more interesting life. And the benefit is your children and your extended family may miss out on a bit of time, but they have the bonus of meeting such interesting people and going to places that work for you but is a day out for them. What would your advice be or what are your final words, I guess, for readers? In your experience, have you ever advised readers about anything? I've been a literacy ambassador for quite a few years. (laughs) Uh, My answer is to find some subject that that person is interested in and even if the words are a bit challenging, if they're interested in that subject, whether it's making boats or uh, playing football or whatever it is, you'll hook them in eventually. Give them a range of things to read. Don't necessarily give them the top of the pops books. Mm-hmm. Find something that matches with that particular person. Mm-hmm. So there was one of my family members who got obsessed with the Battle of Waterloo. You know, that's a very obscure topic. <laughs> <laughs> a niche, a niche, we could say. That's yeah. right, yeah. So all of those things are helpful and your family and friends are enriched by that. Yeah. Where can we find Hazel Edwards online? Well, my website's hazeledwards.com, which is pretty easy. Yep. The major books I've mentioned, but not all 220 of them, have got a page each, and that page has usually got 
the ISBN number and where the book is available. Mm -hmm. The ones who've gone on to ebooks are uh, uh, the link is the links are all there, but Alchemy ebook Alchemy carries most of mine with where the book is available. And if it's something like the audio of this, as a page for just a piece of cake, being an author, and all the links are there that go through to where it's available on audio, uh, Audible, and all the others, and the link to Voices of Today. So I try and keep all of that up to date. Um, if you just Google me, you'll find me in various places. I have um, the Twitter is Mira Moya, M-U-I-R-M-O-I-R. That was my maiden name. And when I set up the Twitter, I put that on and I, I've been cursing it ever since. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you can pretty much Google me and I'm on most of the listings for various things. But the best resource is and if you have a browse through there and you're a beginning writer you'll find there's a couple of pages for aspiring writers and there are links from there well it's free stuff you can download but there are links from there to some of the organizations that may be useful for you there's a copyright agency australian study of authors all those sorts of things um, so you can follow through with whatever you're interested in. I keep that updated. There's usually news on there. There are photos and a few clips and so on. So if you, it keeps changing. So you mm-hmm. can look at that fairly regularly. Mm. Excellent. It's worth going back, putting it as a bookmark and going back and checking every now and again. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is updated yeah. regularly. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's lovely. Sarah, where will we find yourself and Voices of Today online? Yeah, great question. So Voices of Today, you can find at voicesoftoday.org. And there is a list of a full catalogue of our recordings um, or links to where you can find them online. We also have an internet archive page with a range of free recordings as well. So um they're listed in the full catalogue. Mm-hmm. Um, we also offer uh, education licences. So if you work in a school or in another organisation where you'd like discounted access to an audio book, for example, Hazel's book, or um, we've just released Crow Country by Kate Constable, which is on uh, the one of the school texts for a lot of um, high schools, uh, you can find the contact details for that on the website too. So that I hope will be a growing resource, particularly for students and teachers over mm-hmm. time. And my own work is at sarahbackwaller.com. You can say Backwaller how you want. You can't quite spell it however you want uh, and still <laughs> land at the website, but um, that's okay. You could probably find my name listed on the uh, the description of this podcast, so yes, I won't spell it out. Be in the show notes. No, that's lovely. And some advice for people who might want to, any of our uh, writers who might want to have an audio book from yeah. Voices of Today, what should they do? Well, I would love to hear from any authors who would like us to consider producing their work. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few different arrangements in terms of uh, making the financial outlay more manageable for authors where you can pay up front but we also offer royalty share projects where you Mm -hmm. share royalties um, or hybrid where you split the two but if you're interested in having your work produced again go to voicesoftoday.org send us an inquiry via the website yeah we'll be in touch with you if if you would like us to be we cover a range of different genres some we don't do but most we do and if we can't help you, we can point you in the direction of someone who can. Excellent. 
And if we have any listeners who have one of those voices that are definitely mm. uh, yep. good for narration, how do yes. they contact you? Well, Veronica, I've been listening to your voice and oh. thinking, you know, <laughs> you've got the audio set up. You could, uh, no, I mean, seriously, well, I am being serious anyway, but we love to hear from um, people who are interested in narrating or people who have voiceover or narration experience. So, you know, and because we produce a lot of public domain stuff, um, we can get you up and running with a project pretty quickly. Obviously, there's a, a whole skill set involved, but if you've done podcasting, for example, you probably bring a whole lot of skills that would be useful for audiobook narration. Sounds good. Um, Perhaps yeah. we'll get to talk later. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. Um, you know, you can go to the website and, again, send us an inquiry on there. Um, and there's lots of resources online we can point you towards if you're interested in um, upskilling in that area. But also you might be interested in checking out LibriVox, which mm-hmm. is dot org, because A, they have tons and tons of free audio, but B, they're always looking for volunteers. And if you've never done voiceover or um, recorded your own voice or recorded yourself reading aloud, it actually is a really good way of finding out if you actually like it and if mm. you can handle listening to the sound of your own voice. Because there's a lot of work that goes into narrating full-length books, you know, in terms of listening back and editing and, and just making sure it's all up to scratch. So that's a way that you can dip your toe in the water. Excellent. Good. Hazel Edwards and Sarah Bacalar, we have well and truly used our time. So thank you for your uh, generous contribution to Australian Book Club. Can I put in a tiny little request for oh, Absolutely, Hazel. Um, because we already have the recording of uh, Not Just a Piece of Cake, I'd be really interested to hear from any community radio that yep. would like to use it as a serial and ah, they could good. contact Sarah if they were interested yep. in that. Absolutely. Excellent. I'm just making myself a little note about it would, that. It would fit any yes. of the writing programs particularly. Sounds good. We will certainly make sure that uh, that is promoted uh, when we put the podcast episode out. I just need my editor and co-host to recover uh, from COVID and uh, we will be back on track with our production line. Thank you. Thanks, It's been wonderful. Listeners, I hope you go and look at Hazel's website and at the 200 plus books, but also particularly readers and authors. Go and have a look at Hazel's memoir, which is not just a piece of cake, being an author. And there will be something in there for everyone, I'm absolutely certain. So thank both of you ladies for being with us today. Thanks, Veronica. Enjoyed it. Absolutely fascinating interview and I love that Hazel was able to distill all of her work around the exploration of coping with being different. So from the hippo and from hijabi girl and from all of the things that she's written, she could see the theme that has sort of, you know, peppered all of her work. Just fascinating. Yeah, and, and just a huge thanks to both Hazel and Sarah for, yeah, for, yeah, for, for putting a big smile on your face uh, as far as being wonderful uh, guests on the show and, and also for hopefully putting a big smile on all of our, you know, priceless and amazing listeners out there to, for the Australian Book Lovers podcast. So yes. thank you both. And, yeah, so much, I mean, from audiobooks and, and biographies and 
wow, you know, it, the, uh, if, if you enjoy writing or, or want to step into that world, it's really opened up now, hasn't it? I mean, it, yeah. it is, it is a, a mountain just full of gold that you can climb and uh, no one's stopping you. No, and I guess for me it struck a, a chord in that there are so many ways that people can read. It's not just the traditional get a book and turn the pages, even though that's vitally important and, as we know, that sort of lays down really good neural pathways. But, you know, you can listen to a book, you can watch a book, you can uh look at a book electronically and there's so you can discuss books this is the other thing is that there are on social media there's um youtube have got booktube and instagram's got bookstagram and tiktok's got booktok so there's all of these ways that you can read books but also be really nerdy and discuss books with other people that love the really nerdy books that you do uh it's absolutely fascinating yeah it is and it's it's funny because you know with all the technologies and uh, you know all, all the different facets that like you said come come with reading now and and if you're an author writing, um, but I'm wondering, and I think we might have mentioned it previously back in one of our earlier episodes right at the start, but mm-hmm. um, I wonder what happened to the old choose your own adventure and and with today's technology, I would love to have a, you know a, a pretty I, I guess powerful theme of some description. We're, but a simple, a simple but powerful theme, and then get it to a three-quarter point, and then send it out across the world, you know, to people of all different life, you know, visions and religions and whatnot, and have them complete the story, and then so, or different elements of the story, so that you could then see how different we all look at the similar theme. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, it, and how different you and I could read the same be. sentence, and a whole different world opens. Yeah, and yeah. how different? And how different would somebody in uh, South Africa write an ending to the same story, say, opposed to someone, you know, in, in Switzerland or someone in China? Mm. Or, and, and so you take that something that's almost universal as far as a story, and then let all the different authors finish it and uh, be able to flick it through. Say on a Kindle, you could pick which area you wanted, you know, which which uh, culture you wanted to finish the story. It'd be interesting. Is that not what some of the online games are anyway? As in? As in the story of the adventure, you know, getting from, you know, level zero to level 15, that you choose your own adventure because of where you go on the map or who you're picking your team? Well, I'm I'm not... As I've probably mentioned several times, I'm more into <laughs> getting chased by killers and ah, uh, okay. escaping. So, so that, perhaps I need to chat to my son who does the multiplayer online RPGs, whatever. Yes. Ah, I see. Yeah, you're probably 100% right there as far as role-playing games. Yes, yes. definitely. Uh, yes. Obviously, your actions will determine different outcomes. But uh, I'm thinking well, the Perhaps old... I should challenge you, though, to do some research because, uh, you know, for our our next author, we've got Chris Timms, who's, you know, written the uh, Lit RPG. Oh, Lit RPG, that's yeah. right, yes. Yeah, so perhaps we better do a bit of research and stop imagining that we know what we're talking about there. But anyway. I agree with you, and I'll definitely go down the <laughs> rabbit hole into Choose Your Own Adventures, because I may be stuck in the 80s, <laughs> where you go, if you if you want to take the path down the left, yeah. turn to page 36. If you want yeah. to take the path to the yeah, right. You're, right. you're hugging me, sounding like you need to update. So, Darren, I thought it might be interesting just to think about and remind people about the benefits of reading because many of our listeners are listening to us 
for the benefits of reading. They want to hear from their favourite authors and they want to hear what their authors are doing and uh, how they get their inspiration. But there are so many ways that reading itself benefits people you know both you know physically and emotionally and mentally so reading strengthens the connections in your brain and we've talked about that a bit so I probably won't go into it again I like this one reading prevents age-related cognitive decline Mm. so you know when my husband says to me are you reading again I'm going to say yes Yes, yes, I am. I'm preventing age-related cognitive decline. Leave me alone. Uh, get your own dinner or, you know, it's your turn for the vacuuming, whatever that is. So reading reduces stress levels as well. And, uh, you know, I think we were talking earlier about the fact that as soon as you jump into a book, then, or was that with a previous phone call? See, there's my cognitive decline. No, no. As soon as you jump into a book, be it fiction or non-fiction, a well-written book will take you to that world or to that uh, experience or to that sector, whatever it is describing. And those other things that were driving you crazy about the real world just fade into the background a little bit. So, yeah, reading can help you live longer. So there's a big 12-year study that was published in 2017 that found reading books is associated with a 20% reduction in risk of mortality compared to those who didn't read that's books. A pretty good, that's a pretty good selling point. Uh, that's pretty good, yeah. So it may not in itself cause you to live longer on its own, but an overall healthier lifestyle and lower risk of early death. Reading improves memory and concentration. Uh, and, hey, who wouldn't like to remember a little bit more? So there you go. That's five easy ones. And you can see lists of these all over the interweb. So um, lots of you know, ways you can see it. Uh, And I went to the conversation, uh, which is some really interesting one. And I like, as I mentioned, the science-backed reasons to read a real book. So it increases intelligence, it boosts your brain power, it makes you more empathetic. Flipping pages, how about this one, can help you understand what you're reading. So the feel of paper pages under your fingertips provides the brain with some context and it can lead to a deeper understanding and better comprehension of the subject you're reading about. Mm. So to reap the benefits of a good read, think about, you know, still doing the physical pages. So off to your library and borrow some books if you can't uh, afford to buy them. Uh, And that, of course, will allow people to have some royalties. It may help fight Alzheimer's disease. It, It can help you sleep better. It's contagious. 75% of parents wish their children would read more for fun and those who want to encourage their children to become bookworms can start by reading out loud at home. So there you go. And one one you haven't brought up and I think Mm -hmm. you kind of said it like, you know, you can can put some of the the daily... You know, grind. I suppose it can push mm-hmm. it to the background, but if if when you are reading, I mean, ultimately, at its very most simplistic form, prior to all the um, neurological benefits and everything, mm-hmm. you're treating yourself and nobody else. Yeah, and that means there's a moment in time where you're saying, you know what, I am valuing my my happiness, my time, my intellect, my imagination, my relaxation. Even if it's ten minutes, just to quickly finish a chapter. But there's—it's not something. Although you could technically read with other people, sharing audiobooks, but it's you know curling up with a book is very—it's just you do it yourself, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And and it kind of—I like the idea of if you're reading, it means you're in a good space. 
Yeah. In the, in the sense of you've got a moment where you, you, yeah, it's just you focusing yourself. Yeah. So mm. think of the value that has just in that simple act of just giving time to yourself, putting, yeah. putting value on your own time. Yeah, it's a beautiful Definitely. thing. Now, as to, I did find a nice uh, website called uh, bookriot.com where I found a list of where people can find free books online. And, you know, just please don't forget to buy some books, borrow some books in the library if you can as well, because that's, you know, writers have to eat. But I thought if people are looking to begin or if, you know, things are a bit tight, you can go to fanfiction.net. Goodreads, the International Children's Digital Library, Internet Sacred Text Archive, Many Books, Open Culture, Open Library, Overdrive, Project Gutenberg, Read, Print, Riveted, Tor, Wattpad, oh, sorry, Wattpad, Wikisource and World Public Library. So there you go. Try any one of those places or go to bookriot.com, free books online and have a look and see what they suggest because all the links are there. It's kind of like looking for a star in a galaxy, isn't it? It's, <laughs> you decide, true. you look up and you realise, you know, it can be overwhelming what's out there uh, mm. as far as, you know, all the content and uh, all the, yeah, the rabbit holes, the digital rabbit holes you can go down. Yeah. Uh, but so I'm still... Darren, tell us go, sort of one thing. Why do you like reading? Well, I, th- I think I gave a little bit of a way before. I, I like the idea of it's a pause button for the world around me. Mm. Um I love I love the idea of being put on the spot. Um, you know, I just love that there's a world inside that's you know has its own sort of unique existence. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, if I don't spend time in there, it's just like being away from anywhere that you feel you know away from home or away from a loved one. You know, sometimes life gets in the way. Well, you know, the old saying, "Life it's what happens while you're making plans." So, but I, it's it's still represents a physical realm in the sense of uh, a direct connection mm-hmm. and uh, so reading is 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 just maintaining that relationship with the inner world and uh, yeah and just learning I love learning whether it's yeah. learning from other people's experience learning from adventures um, I mean as you as you get older I think you know by, by the nature of responsibility comes a lack of, not a lack, a slow reduction in the unknown. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, things become predictable to a certain degree. You know, once you've got your routine, you're up at the same time or depending on whether you're driving or whether you're catching trains, but, you know, you, you, you catch the same set of traffic lights, you know, you put the coffee on, you walk in the office, all those things happen. So, you know, it's a huge thing if something out of ordinary, ordinary happens on, a, on any given day because it breaks that monotony or not mm. monotony, but, you know, even... No matter what sort of role you've got, there's there's elements of predictability to it. Whereas you know you open a book and that's an opportunity to remind yourself that uh, unpredictability is a beautiful thing as well. And that I think the the more you read as you get older is a good counterbalance to that less unpredictability um, that uh, life becomes or life ends up uh, yeah being made of. Mm, good. That's for me anyway. That'll change next week once I've done the rabbit hole dive into <laughs> Choose Your Own Adventures. But All right. <laughs> do you have some quotes for us? Or a quote? Let's begin with one. I, I, I do absolutely do, yes. So I will write. I will write. I will, I'll start that one again. <laughs> I will read the first one. Um, this one's a, an interesting one. Um, 
coming up to Writers Week and, and being uh, somebody who's still jaw on the floor in awe of how many books um, Hazel's managed to put together. So, But I thought this one's a little bit cheeky too. So from Virginia Woolf, mm-hmm. it is, Writing is like sex. First, you do it for love. Then you do it for friends. And then you do it for money. Yeah. So, <laughs> part one and part three of that quote, I can, I can I can understand the jump. The part in the middle, I guess, when we're talking about that choose your own adventure, that's where I think maybe uh, who knows how everyone chooses that part. But uh, yeah, no, I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, and whether that's a snot, you know sarcasm at its finest, or whether it's a, a little bit of a reflection on maybe. Something that can uh, the requ- the need for money to, to take the shine away from something I don't know, but it's uh, it's definitely got a little bit of a, a fun little sizzle and sting to it. There you go. Let me t- uh, give you this one now by Jessica Stillman. She's a writer, editor, and ghostwriter, and she does a, a column on uh, Ink dot com, uh, focused on making work life and just life more meaningful joyful and impactful so she wrote uh, an article on how reading rewires your brain but I really love this quote reading is basically an empathy workout by nudging us to take the perspective of characters very different from ourselves it boosts our EQ so our emotional quotient so yeah I really like that Mm. it's an empathy workout yeah no it's a good little term isn't it empathy workout and I mean, how many, I mean, when you think about it, like, I mean, textbooks in school, when, when we're learning stuff, you learn theories or situations or principles or whatever it might be mm-hmm. in the hope that you will encounter them in life moving forward and then recognize them for what they are. Mm. And I think, you know, being an empathy workout, then perhaps if you come to, you know, depending on the story, it might give you that that sort of understanding. It may be in your back pocket for five years, but you may come into a situation and be reminded of, you know, that whatever emotion you had when you're reading. So yeah. I can imagine yeah. that then it makes it easy to recognise something in the real world um, and, uh, you know, maybe deal with it with a little bit more elegance and understanding. Mm. Give us your second quote. Okay, this is by the wonderful, magnificent Carl Sagan. Ah, excellent. And this is a good little one. So, quote is... A book is made from a tree. It is an assemblage of flat, flexible parts, still called leaves, imprinted with dark, pigmented squiggles. One glance at it and you hear the voice of another person, perhaps someone dead for thousands of years. Across the millennia, the author is speaking, clearly and silently, inside your head, directly to you. Writing is perhaps the greatest of human inventions, binding together people, citizens of distant epochs who never knew one another. Books break the shackles of time, proof that humans can work magic. And that was from Carl Sagan. And yeah, I couldn't... Oh, I wish I could have said something like that. Well, I wish I could have said something like that. I wish I could ever say something as close to as uh, beautiful as that. But doesn't it just really just put it on the pedestal that is above just about everything else? reading and books so so much a part of who we are yeah just fantastic yeah I really love that I'm just letting that sit I like Carl Sagan's work and of course I've read Contact as a science fiction person most important isn't it funny we you'd sit you read a book by yourself and yet a book brings us all together yeah and it can increase all our knowledge it can yes it's funny but uh, here we are just 
fan, what do they say? Fan gushing over fan books. Fan gushing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till I get to the Writers' Festival. <laughs> yes, yeah, but you'll be there with lots of people who talk the same language and who listen with the same kind of ears. So, yeah, it'll be good. And it segues very nicely into the quote I've got from a gentleman called William Styron, as in styrofoam, Styron. So he was an American novelist and uh, probably best known by me, he's the author of Sophie's Choice, which was a movie Ah. around, you know, uh, many years ago, but he's also wrote Light in Darkness. What's that? Wasn't it Jessica Lang? Uh, no, I think it was Meryl Streep, wasn't it? Sophie's Choice. Oh, good point. Yeah, there you go. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to correct I'm, I'm us, stepping back into stepping back into the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, so his quote is: "A great book should leave you with many experiences, and slightly exhausted at the end, you live several lives while reading." Yes. I think uh, exhausted is a good one. Yeah. Because you, I mean, exhausted doesn't necessarily mean... Uh, I mean, it's one of those words, isn't it? When you think about it, it's, the initial thing's a little bit uh, negative, but it's not. It's the opposite. You know, mm. if you have a massive workout, it's great. You're exhausted, but for the best possible way. Uh, you, so you could be exhausted hugging people. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I know I was exhausted when I first close the pages on Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, because, but what know, a brilliant book is that? Oh, yeah, but I mean the, the gymnastics I had to do back then when I was 17, 18, I suppose, uh, yeah, and yeah. then realising that, you know, that's what the impact of just one or two sentences. Yeah, it was exhausting, but in the yeah. best possible way. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The kind of book you have to read a bit and think a bit and read a bit and think a bit, yeah. Yeah. Great well, book. Or, or it is one of those books where you suddenly put it down, look up into the room, no matter who's there, and you just say, yeah, I'm going for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good, very good. No, they found a couple of great quotes there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we have done well today. And, of course, if our listeners think we've done well, please feel free to let us know and leave us some stars on your favourite podcasting platform, so wherever you listen to us. Uh, or you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Australian Books. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at Australian Book Lovers. And if you are a reader and you want to get our semi-regular, I'm going to say, yeah, no, just our ad hoc newsletter filled with lots of information and giveaways about our books and our authors, go to australianbooklovers.com forward slash book lovers and subscribe. If you are an author and you are like Hazel Edwards and have got 200 books, feel free to send us your books. Or if you are just beginning and have just one or two books, uh, such as Sarah, who has The Fault Lines Founding Liberty, that's Sarah Bakula, who we interviewed with Hazel Edwards today, you can go to australianbooklovers.com for authors and drop in the details of your book and for absolutely zippity doodah, uh, apart from some time and effort on Darren's part, you can Yay. have your book <laughs> I don't know why I've started calling you Daryl after 12 months, anyway, and after knowing you for years, anyway. Uh, you can uh, put your book and we'll put it up for you and list it and, and share things on social media. So there you go. There's only one thing that remains. Mm-hmm. And I've got, you know, 
in my alter ego as Daryl, I've been quietly thinking about, <laughs> <laughs> about how we're going to do the tagline. So I thought I, I've had a bit of a hippopotamus in the image of a hippopotamus in right. my mind since, yeah. since talking about hazel because yep. they are they are very cool animals. They are. Um, and stories and books are, are like animals. The uh, you know the biosphere is endless. So how about if we maybe do our tagline as though we're narrating David Attenborough style nature program. Oh, and I like I was, it. And I'll assert all different wonderful, pretty sounds of animals. Yeah, I, I like it. Yes. So uh, don't hang up. <laughs> don't hang up. Don't press stop <laughs> yet, peeps, because we have some book reviews after. We do this. indeed. But take care for now and remember to... Read more Aussie books. See how it goes. Look at that magnificent book, In the Wild. In the Wild, with Darren and Veronica. With an N. (laughs) (laughs) Darren. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for episode number 46. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for making it such a joy to do. And I can't wait to join for the next episode. Bye for now. Behind the Veil by E.J. Dawson. A damaged but determined woman is a central character in Behind the Veil. It's an amazing story and I love the very complex character of Letitia Hawking. She is the perfect blend of damaged and determined. A strong woman recovering from tragedy, surviving and thriving with her own unique set of challenges. She sets her boundaries and expectations and then tops them when each crisis arrives and all within her time and world. Dawson's command of prose is enviable. Having read her Queen of Spades sci-fi series, I was expecting more of the same great writing. But she has delivered above and beyond, a wonderful book in a completely different pace and style. It flows brilliantly, a perfect vehicle for the characters and the gothic noir supernatural story. This is a great read. None Shall Sleep by Ali Marnie is not my usual genre, but well worth stepping outside the lane. It's a page-turner that scratches the uncomfortable voyeuristic itch of personal trauma and serial killers. Marnie has two teenagers working with the FBI on old and then an active case. Clever. Her prose is precise and poignant. The plot has enough twists and turns to satisfy any reader of thriller and the cast is odd and well-drawn. Not your usual story or mine at least, this is a well-written tale and a great read. Let's meet again. Where magic happens. Australian Book Lovers acknowledges First Nations peoples and recognises their continuous connection to country, community and to culture. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and honour the sharing of traditional stories passed down through generations. 
We're committed to a safe and inclusive welcome for authors and readers of all cultures and backgrounds, including people of LGBTQIA communities and their families.